This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, so you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. Hey, do, do you speak first? I thought you spoke first. Me first? Maybe. Or does Phil go first? What are you two talking about? Come on, chop, chop. We got a show to do. Oh, we're trying to figure out who starts the show. Oh, seriously? This bit again? Mm-hmm. All right, well, fine. Let's do it the easy way. Roll for initiative. And with that, welcome to the 440th episode of the Mr. Mark podcast. Tonight, we discuss initiative and role-playing games, what it's supposed to do, why different games use different systems. Along the way, we'll take comments, suggestions, and examples from you in the chat room for life before jumping into the after show. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil, second on the initiative list. And I am old man Logan bringing up the rear. Okay. You're going first next turn. I'm going first yes. next round, yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 what I always, that's what I always do to cheer up the person like, uh, who rolls like a one on their initiative. Like, as, as we used to say... You're, you're first next turn. As we used to say in Warhammer... Elves, humans, orcs, halflings, rocks, things that aren't moving, and then dwarves. Go for it. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. I didn't think kids. we were going to get initiative jokes tonight. Like, yeah. you're going to get all of the puns tonight. But wow. first, right. before we do That's the puns, right. we got to do the temperature check before we go in the house. Make sure nobody's got the COVID. Nobody's, uh, you know, because we, we're going to be in close proximity here as we try to social distance inside the house. But, you know, do the right thing. Mask up. Okay. Yeah. Phil, how you doing? Meh. Um, I'm uh, physically, I, physically I'm okay. I'm fine. Um, although I think um, the winter is uh, the winter is getting to me. I'm stiffening up um, in terms of like there's nowhere to go. Like it's snowy and icy and stuff. So like basically, um, I just like walk around my house. So like I'm not doing a very good job of. Um, not doing a very good job of like extra steps or stretching or anything so i'm a little stiff like that but that's like really nothing like that's that's not a big deal and then mentally for the most part i'm kind of okay-ish um i had kind of a rough day today the kids uh both kids did not have a spectacular technology day um so there was like a whole bunch of um it like juggling kids managing expectations troubleshooting problems and still running all my meetings today um, I was, you know, it was just a lot. Like I just, I was kind of worn out by the end of the day and I still had to get a whole bunch of stuff done before the, um, before I could call it quits for the day. So I'm just like a little like, oh, like happy to be here kind of coming down from like, you know, it was a pretty rocky afternoon drinking my coffee, going to do a little chatting about games. So it's, that makes me feel better. Go. So, uh, in that, in that case, yeah, doing all right. Uh, how about, uh, how about you, Jer? Pretty good. Um, like you, I've, I realize I have like gained weight. I've not, I'm not out moving around as much. Uh, I gotta get, start getting back to, to, to moving around more. But other than that, not too bad. Um, we decided to get a, uh, another pet, uh, you just call it a pillow top, I guess, memory gel for the top of our bed. So we're sleeping a lot better now. Um, I was sleeping pretty well. My wife's back was a little, was hurting her a little bit. So we tried an, uh, one that I had from my old futon. Network, so we just got a new one. So I've been sleeping like I hit the I hit the mattress, and in like three minutes I'm out. Um, so so I'm feeling better. But other than that, it's just kind of a status quo right now. Um, this has been kind of a weird February, but not in a 
bad way, just kind of unusual. So uh, I'm just kind of waiting for March to start back up so that we can get back to some normalcy. So, hmm. but it's not horrible, not horrible. Bob, yeah. What yeah. does this mean, normalcy? <laughs> yeah. What part are you? Uh, what part are you looking for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm I'm looking for just like the the weeks go the way the weeks should go. Um, you know, there, there's a certain way uh, because of gaming and things like that. I have certain schedules. Like every other week, I've got a I've got podcast Tuesday, game Wednesday, game Thursday, game Friday, and then on the other weeks, I have podcast Tuesday, game Friday, game Sunday. It's been off a little bit because games on Sunday have fallen on things like Valentine's Day and Super Bowl Day, so uh, that hasn't gone. Yeah. Um, Work-wise, we've just had some shuffling around of people and the weather, and we're finally getting some things that needed to be done straightened out. And uh, so everything is kind of falling into place and getting back to a routine gotcha. schedule. I like schedules. I like routines. No, I'm with you. I'm with um, you. I like organization. I have an I have an employee that we hired earlier this this year, a new person who took over the warehouse and has put into place um, ridiculous organizational skills. And uh, I had to go out today to look for something unusual. There's like, we don't know if we have this part where it is. And I walked out, I'm like, I know where I would expect it to be if I was him. And I walked out and it was right there. I'm like, okay, Boom. he has Boom. put things in places that even if you don't know where they're supposed to be, you know where they should be and you can find them. And I'm like, that is amazing. And that's good. After having four people in the warehouse who didn't always organize that well, it's it's weird, but it makes the job go easier. It also takes a lot of mental stress off because you can just walk back and look and see where things are. Oh yeah, absolutely cool. And I know that I know that Phil will understand the joy of seeing things that were at one time chaos now organized. I like things in the places they belong. Yes, yes. All right. So to finish up, I am feeling pretty good. Um, no, uh, no worse for the wear at the moment. You know, mentally fairly good. Physically not too bad. Um, so, um, I'm be, I'm able to maintain my status quo, which is good. Yeah. So I'm not slipping. Solid okay. Solid is that okay. Uh, yeah. Solid okay. Yes, that's 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 me. Solid okay. Yeah. All right. So that means we can jump into the house and do the one thing. And uh, my one thing for today is uh, continued retail therapy, of course. Um, and because I just got a real a new TV not that long ago, I bought myself a sound bar. <laughs> Awesome. So awesome. I that up a nice over the touch. Weekend, and now I that have a good. TV with sound that, you know, doesn't sound like it's coming out of two little TV speakers. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, uh, it's nice to be able to sit and watch an actual TV instead of sitting in front of my computer for everything. No, I think that's awesome. That's cool. yeah. It's nice. It's nice to, uh, look, I get the retail therapy thing, man. I've oh, yeah. bought like seven things in the last couple of days. Like I, I looked and I'm like, oh, there must be something wrong here. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. But that's me, Jerry. Um, so this week, uh, because we're playing Band of Blades, I decided that I had never actually seen all the Band of Brothers, and I already talked about it last week. So I decided to binge watch the entire Band of Brothers series, and when that was done, I just rolled right into the Pacific. Um, two very good kind of uh, docudramas, I guess you'd call them. Um, yeah, they're definitely, yeah, they're definitely. I mean, I mean they're, they they're a cool, they're a cool way that they do them. Yes, yes, and I, I like the fact that they. Like some of the people talking are the actual people that were in the, yes. the series itself. Yeah. To hear their reactions. Um, and the fact that they don't sugarcoat either side, um, including some of the negative sides of, of the American actions as well. Yep. Um, but it was good. It's, it's heavy. It's dark. And I'll be honest, after binge watching 20 hours of very gritty war drama, um, I did take, I did start watching some other fun stuff and play some video games and so on, <laughs> but it's really good. And if you haven't seen it, it's, it's a very, very good show. 
They're both they're both very excellent. I watched Band of Brothers when it was out, so I watched it weekly yep. on uh on HBO. Mm-hmm. And uh that's that show's heavy, man. Like it's um it, it's got a few lighter moments, but not much. Like um not by much at all. And it is yeah, the, you're right. It, and, it pulls it and pulls Pacific, no punches. And the Pacific is much, much darker. Is much yeah, darker. I didn't I didn't actually watch Pacific. Um um i watched part of it i didn't watch all of i didn't watch all the way through it's 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 a different it's not as um band of brothers while there is 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 both less of a story and more of a story but there's a better narration through it and you get to know the characters a lot more yeah um the pacific really follows only a couple of people yeah and but it's also because of what happened in the pacific and how that went uh, there weren't there there weren't that many downbeats, you know. Uh, Band of Brothers. There's some downbeats, just some episodes that are really about like character building, and yep. uh, the Pacific is basically like episode after episode of, you know, we're going to see how many how many of our people we're going to lose Ugh. trying to take this 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 next hundred feet of, of ground. Right. Yeah. And um, but there are some cool things that that happen, and it's it's it's, it's really well done, and you know, it's 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 good. It's really good. Um, so. For for those of you on the podcast, uh, Jerry's gone full Bond villain and is now holding his cat and petting him during the cast. So if you hear purring in the background, you are not hearing things. Yep. That's just Sai. That is Sai. Sai, who has decided that he he loves my headphones again. So <laughs> uh, this 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 is this is part of my like like uh, keeping my my mental health well is having Sai on my shoulder. So. No arguments, man. It's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So, uh, what's next? You Phil. kick it to you. Kick it to me. One thing for Phil. That's right. Uh, I also engaged in some retail therapy. In fact, like a, a string of small things and one large thing. So, like one, I got myself like merino wool fingerless gloves because um, you know it's cold down here, and it sometimes gets cold in my office, like during the day while I'm working. So, uh, I got a little toastier. Um, but uh, the the big thing that I bought. Uh, was I got myself an Apple watch um, and I dig it. Uh, I got it on mm-hmm. Friday. I picked it up. I set it up like Friday night and uh, I've been using it over the last couple of days. I'm still sorting out exactly the things I want it to do. Um, but the notifications are great. And some of the other things that are like just minorly convenient um, things like when I have to log in for work, um, we use duo for two factor authentication but that now just pops up on my watch. Yep. So like it just comes up and I'm like, oh, authenticate and like you know let myself in, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it, it it's neat. Like I like it. I'm uh, I'm still, like I said, I'm still figuring out like what apps I need on it. Um, I really like the thing that I'm really loving about it is the thing where you can you make your own watch faces for it. Yes. So, um, I have a watch face for work. I have a watch face for not work. Um, that are configured very differently. So like my watch face for work has everything I need to see on my watch while I'm working. And then when I'm done for the day, I just kind of like slide that one over and I get my home one, which is like a very different look, um, which is neat. I'm digging it. So yeah, I'm having fun. I'm, I, you know, I'm having fun playing with it. Uh, I bought some accessories for it. So I, I only have one band now, um, but I will buy another one in time for pride because I want a full rainbow band um, for pride. Cool. Uh, I have just the, I have the, I have the, um, and I really like it. This is the, um, the infinity band. I, I don't I forget what it's actually called, but it's, it, it has no clasps whatsoever. It's just a single loop of silicone. 
and it's like super soft and stretchy and you just like pop it on like a bracelet kind of thing. And, um, you know, like when I put my arm down, I'm not putting my arm down on a clasp or on like two layers of, you know, of uh, the watch band or anything like that. So it's really easy um, for working. But apparently you can just like buy um, you just like buy bands and pop this thing out like you just you just pop the um, watch right off of the bands and slide more bands in like you can really get kind of um, it's very much a um, a a retail staple bands for anything that takes a band there are fashion yes uh, fashion versions all over and yeah and in true apple fashion the apple bands are ridiculously expensive although i suspect they're good quality but you can just go on amazon and they may like everybody makes bands yeah um so the aftermarket on bands is like really easy so i do need one for pride that's the um that's the one thing i do need is i need a band for pride um come come june so I'll work. I, I will work on that. I've got I've got a rainbow one uh, in mind and they have rainbow watch faces already. Like they have a whole section for pride. You can just like pick your rainbow watch face and configure it. So That's I'll be cool. that'll be fun to just kind of do that. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, I don't know. That's it for me. All right. So uh, shall we roll on to the announcements? I think we should. Okay, dokie. Uh, just one announcement this week. Uh, a reminder um, we will be uh, kicking off the Voyager Watch Club on March 9th, Tuesday, March 9th at 11.30 p.m. Eastern. So an hour after we kind of wrap the show live, um, we're going to do what we all what we've always done. We're going to watch um, we're going to watch two episodes together mm-hmm. um, in our uh, shared Netflix, um, our little shared Netflix thing with, you know, chatting on the side and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, we'll have episodes every week. I've, I've curated a list. We talked all about that. So if you want to get on board and uh, watch Voyager because you love Voyager, um, or maybe you were like, uh, like me, and I think Bob's in the same boat where you just like, you really never uh, gave it a fair shake. Uh, and you want to kind of like, you know, try it out. Um, here's a chance to, uh, what you call it? Here's a chance for you to jump in yep. and, um, uh, get get in on the ground floor. This would be like yeah. now would be the time. You get in right now. We'll be starting it off, and you could just go all seven seasons with us. Ooh, so. Yeah, cool, cool. Sounds good. Yay, that's right. Okay, all right. Well, we're doing a thing on initiative, which means we're going in the garage. Mm-hmm. I think I remember garage. the code. There it is. Access granted. Yeah, see, apparently you did remember the code. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. In our search for topics, uh, as we always do, I don't know if people, I, I, as an aside, I don't think people know this, but um, we do not have like a calendar of topics. I think there are other organized podcasts that are like have like 10 or 15 shows of, you know, like ideas lined up or whatever. We're like more like what we would call in the project management and manufacturing field, a just in time podcast. Um, I believe you so we don't the loose cannons. Yeah, we don't really come up with a topic till the week before. And um, if you know this from Pandas, we come up with the topic in a very similar manner, which is whatever catches our interest that week. Yep. Mm-hmm. So Jerry, like, often throws out, like, a whole bunch of ideas at me because I'm like, oh, I don't know. I think we need a show topic. And Jerry was like, initiative. And I was like, oh, cool, initiative. Yeah, we totally could do a garage episode on initiative. And I'm like, hmm, wait a second. That seems vaguely familiar. So I went and checked. And 156 episodes ago, we yes. did a um, ep- uh, episode on the um, mechanics of initiative. But 
at 156 episodes ago, we are well within range to redo the topics. So, to be fair, we do whatever strikes our fancy or whatever mm-hmm. we can milk from the past that uh, that's <laughs> has right. life left in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. As long as that. Listen, there's only so many topics in role playing, and some of you haven't been here. Yep. There's yep. N- not everyone. Not everyone on this list is an ovy. Like who's yeah. listened all the way through. Some of you are new here, so you get a like you get fresh treatments on these. And we also often change our thoughts on, on topics. Yeah, exactly. As, as, yep. as we evolve and as topics evolve. So all right. So uh we're gonna do this as a redo as a redo episode. Um we're gonna come back and look at the mechanics of initiative. And while we're at it, we're gonna talk about how it works, what it is, some samples of different initiative mechanics, and also how to make the most out of them in your games. Of course. But in order to do that, we need to understand how initiative works. So for that, we go to the top of the order. Phil? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to beat this to death. I think we're all familiar with the concept. Initiative is a term that denotes um, when it is a given player slash character's turn to act. Uh, a player character has either the initiative or they do not. The rules for initiative determine who will go first, who will go next, etc. Until everyone that is in the scene has had the initiative and done something or passed uh, their action. Initiative order uh, is then the complete list of who acts in what order during the course of a turn. Some games will have rules for ways to change the initiative order. Um, such as holding actions, conditional actions, interrupts, things like that. Those are going to be um, a little more specific to each um, to each system. But um, what they all kind of do in one way or another is either temporarily or permanently change the order. So an interrupt may let you, like a conditional action may let you jump ahead in the order because the condition by which you were holding your previous action has happened. So you can now take your... Um, you can now take your action. Some games that will permanently change it. Like you now, you now act on this, on this, um, at this point in the order, or you just sometimes fall back to your previous uh, point in the order. Um, initiative is not, I, I, I say this like as if you people don't know this, but I think you all do. Initiative is not used all the time throughout a game, right? It's often used in places where, um, we need to slow things down and take things more sequentially, which is almost always combat. Um, oh, I, I, I don't, I say, I'm going to say this carefully. I'm going to say this carefully. I don't believe that there is a game that has initiative for the narrative parts of a, of, of a role play. I have not in my tenure experienced it. I'm playing in one right now, which is Pandora, Pandora, Pandora. Pandora the one that, that is, is literally, uh, everybody like rolls. You don't roll dice again until everybody's rolled dice, kind of thing. Uh, that is, but does it set order. the order, or is that just turn taking? Because there are sure. plenty of there are plenty of games that have turn taking. Like for instance, um, oh, what's that one we love? Swords Without Master, right? Like that yeah, has yeah. a turn taking thing, but it doesn't say like Bob goes before Jerry, who goes before Tony, who goes and then Phil. Like, does Pandora have that? Not. Yet, but that's okay. <laughs> okay, we're playing because we're playing we're, play, we're play testing it, so we'll see. So this um, is actually a good part. Like, let me let yeah. me just take this as a moment to 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 tease these two things apart. Right, there is taking turns, which almost all games have some manner of taking turns, whether it is structured as in we are going to use initiative to determine who goes in which order, 
Or there is like the, I'm the GM and I point to Bob and I'm like, what are you doing? Right. But that's not initiative. That's just me pointing to Bob and saying, what are you doing? And then, and then going by the convention that Bob doesn't really do anything until I point to everyone else at the table. Um, Isn't that, isn't that sort of a narrative initiative though? It's not really because a narrative initiative would be that there would be some sort of mechanism that everybody engages that then says, this is the order by which we will only engage the narrative for some period of time. Okay. Right. Like if, 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 for instance, if we were opening up a scene and everybody rolled dice mm-hmm. and, and, and we collected the results and it was like, okay, when, you know, I'll start narrating the scene, Bob will say what he's doing first. Jerry can say what he's doing next. Tony, then Phil, right? Like, it, like, yeah. you know, in that order, that's an initiative, right? Okay. Initiative orders who goes like who goes next kind of thing. And we'll talk about things like popcorn initiative where it's a little fuzzier than actually rolling. Yeah. Like rolling is one way to obtain an initiative. But turn taking is a different thing. And they're similar because um, there are social conventions that we as GMs often engage in, which are like when I'm running a game. I'm not going to ask, I'm going to ask Bob what he's doing. I'm not going to ask Bob again, what he's doing till I've asked everyone else at the table. Right. Like there's, there is that, but that's not like, that's generally not written into any rules. That's just kind of uh, table conventions that we as, uh, that we as game masters undertake. Like, you know, that's that, you know, share this, you know, pass the spotlight, make sure everybody's heard those kinds of things. Okay. Initiative is actually a initiative is a mechanism. Like there are rules for how one derives the initiative order. And that's probably the most, um, that's probably the best way to define it. Right. There is a, there is a, a set of rules and mechanisms for deriving the initiative order. Okay. Okay. Cool, cool. Well, uh, that was a fun little diversion. <laughs> well, no, it's, oh, important. Actually, it's, it's important to define. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's good. Good. Mo, uh, Mo in the chat room said that uh, Warhammer Fantasy 3rd Edition actually had social actions and social powers that can be used cautiously or aggressively. So they had uh, kind of a narrative In- initiative. Interesting. And Dragon Age also had social initiative with a list of social stunts. Yeah, but that starts coming out like combat. Like yeah, that's not and, like yeah. open story narrative. Like yeah. that's like that's I, like I, I'm engaging I, in a duel of wits. Yeah, I think I think maybe move away from combat and say conflict. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, I, mean, I mm-hmm. guess. Diff- but yeah, oh yeah, Dragon yeah. Age has definitely has a, a initiative. But again, it's all it's all just social conflict. It's not yep. really. It's still combat at that point. Um, yes, I mean we could get into a whole yeah. other discussion about conflict versus combat kind of thing, which, yeah. which isn't a bad topic. So. Yeah. No, no, not bad at all. Bob, you want so to put it in that? Let's let's get into the meat of this thing here. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. But, but put a, put a pin in conflict versus con- combat. So why? So now we talked about all this. We kind of described it already. Why do we need initiative? And the reason is because initiative arises from several parallel influences that came from early role playing games. Um, for example, as, as kids, a lot of us did a lot of things like you know shooting each other dead. No, you didn't. I go first. Who picked this up first? That sort of thing. Um, also, war games. Who went first and what order decided a battle or what units lived or died in board games themselves. Uh, we often had who goes first, what order play will occur. Uh, money, many games and boards wouldn't function at all without it. For example, games like chess without turns, chess wouldn't work. Although it might be super interesting if you just started like jamming, like just 
Imagine, I was just thinking about this. Imagine playing like Ticket to Ride, but not turns. Like you just start grabbing cards off the table kind of thing. Yeah, see, of course, Moe's like, there's a real-time chess game. Now we got Moe in here. We're not talking about any more board games tonight, Moe. Moe's going to find, like, every contradiction, like... Um, oh, no, 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 Phil. Always use your resources, man. Yes. Uh, I know, but for anything, that, for any example we pick in a board game, Moe's going to be like, but actually... <laughs> not in a bad way. Just Moe's knowledge is vast as his actual game collection. Is, is um, Moe board spitting to us? Yes. All right. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, initiative orders play in a fair way, right? The rules for initiative are known and repeatable, right? They're in the book. They tell you how to do them, and you just do them every time you need to engage initiative. They're not at the whim of the GM, right? That's kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, right? It's not the GM who's just like, eh, you, you know, you go because I feel like you should go. And then, of course, there are going to be exceptions to this and everything. And we're going to talk why in certain games this isn't really a big deal. Yep, absolutely. There is definitely one of my favorite games actually does that, and it isn't a yeah. big deal. No. All right. Um, initiative also brings to order what could be really chaotic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, <clears throat> excuse me. Imagine if everybody started shouting what they did on their turn as soon as combat started. Some of you may have been in games where that actually happens. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> and you know how, how quickly that becomes a problem. I so will refer to a bigger order. I will refer to my seventh grade, my seventh grade Dragonlance campaign as an example about why initiative is important. <laughs> as like a table full of seventh graders start yelling their their you know moves out. Okay, um, so initiative sets expectations of who goes when by creating that initiative order. Um, it also, in a lot of cases, depending on the type of initiative, there are some that don't do this, but in a lot of um, in a lot of initiatives. Um, it gives players time to think because they're acting in the same spot in the order each turn, right? So after you act, you have like, you have until you come back around to kind of think about what you want to do, maybe look something up in a, you know, in a rule book or kind of see what happens to make, you know, your, your next choice. Not in all games. We'll talk about one of Jerry's favorite games where that's not true. Um, but it does allow people who need a little extra time to make decisions, those initiative systems actually buy them a little time to come up with those decisions. Um, and it also slows down people who are quick to just yell things out at the table. And it also regulates your alpha players and your spotlight out. Keeps That's them exactly what I over mean. the game. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yep. Um, and then it also brings fairness to games that have active oppositions. Excuse me. Um, for example, rather than the GM just deciding the dragon can attack, it's relegated to a certain turn order in the game so that uh, the players feel that it's a fair combat and that the GM has time to plan things and the players have time to plan things. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it, it creates that fairness for everybody. Exactly. Yeah, and we want fairness. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now that we understand why we need initiative, let's break it down and understand how it works. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we start with something in the narrative triggers the need for the GM to call for initiative. And most often, this is going to be combat or conflict. Right. I mean, usually as a GM, you know when initiative's needed. Like when a player's like, I draw my gun, you're like, hmm, everybody roll for initiative. That's right. Um, Then a mechanism is engaged to determine each person's initiative value. In most cases, each player and the GM are going to engage the mechanism individually. Um, there are games uh, like old school D&D where simply one side or the other side goes. 
Um, and this mechanism is going to decide whether the players go first, the GM goes first. And there are going to be some games where initiative is a static number and you know before the combat even starts who's going to go when and where and at what time. Yeah. Um, but the most common use is use of some sort of randomizer modified by a skill or ability that's going to help determine when you can act. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then once everybody has an initiative, um, then the, those all get ordered and that's the initiative order. Then during the course of the turn, the play moves through the initiative order. So each person gets their turn and then we move to the next person in the order. Um, And then you get to the end of the order and either you repeat it. So you just loop back around or you reengage the mechanisms to create a new order. And then initiative just continues until there's conditions, until conditions are met where there's no longer a need for a turn order. This is often going to be when combat ends by one side winning or one side retreating or one side losing. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think we've all done this as GMs where you get to a point in combat where you're like, eh, we don't really need to be in turns anymore. Yeah. Nope. You know, like, let's just drop out of initiative. Yep. It's like coming out of warp, right? Like, just, you know, resume, <laughs> resume impulse play. Um, okay. And then uh, once we no longer need to have an initiative order, we don't. We drop back out and we just get back into the more um, unstructured uh, play. Mm-hmm. All right. So understanding that high-level structure, let's take a look at how different systems handle initiative and the play experience that they create. Jerry has one initiative, so start us off. All right, so let's talk about a couple different types of initiative systems. Um, the first one we're talking about is cyclical, and this is where you set initiative order and you just keep repeating initiative until it's no longer needed. Some examples would be things like DCC, where you roll a d20 and you add your modifiers, um, D uses the same sort of, of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, agility and also class level for warriors. Forbidden Lands uses cards to set that order. Um, games like Warhammer First Edition or Village Atlantis had a set initiative value that was simply decided to begin the game. So you attack on round 30 and someone's going to attack on round 20. Um, the next thing is going to be play experience. So this lets, because we have this initiative set in place, the players know when they're going to act. And in theory, it keeps the flow steady. You set it, and you go. It allows for predictability to create strategies. It allows you to implement tactics. You know, I know that um, I'm going to do this so that in the next initiative phase, the rogue can backstab, or I'm going to do, I'm going to set the bomb over here so the next initiative phase, the sniper can shoot it and blow it up, those sorts of things. Even things such as I'm going to get over so I can protect the uh, the healer before the, t- the other tank attacks them sort of thing. Um and lastly, sometimes actions let you change places in the order, but it's mostly fixed. Some games will have things where you can um, uh, give up your action to make a new action. So you, you give up your action to roll your initiative for next turn and see if you move up the, up the chart. Oh, yeah. or, maybe, or maybe you have, a, in Savage Worlds, you can draw a new card. Um, and sometimes you'll have actions that say things like, okay, I'm going to hold my action until the healer moves. And then from this point out, I'm not going to be set at the, at the turn just after the healer or something along that line. Yep. Um, sometimes they have interrupt actions. So all this allows you to basically plan out your tactics as you go. And once it's in place, you know what's going to happen every single turn. It makes the game move pretty quickly. All right. Our next uh, type of initiative system, which the um, chat room is already talking about and not liking, is round by round. Every round, you engage the mechanism to determine a new initiative order. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, um, Mo's just talking about Eclipse phase. Uh, which, you know, had a um, D100 roll plus some math to figure out your initiative, and you did it every turn. Um, 
The other one, which um, I think actually does work round by round, is Savage Worlds, where you deal out cards to everybody. And at the end of the turn, you collect all the cards, you deal them out again. And I, the reason I think that works is because dealing out cards is really quick. Um, um, no, I, I would, as, as somebody who plays a lot of Savage Worlds, I'm not going to say that it actually works. It's been a long discussion. It's actually what brought up this entire topic oh. was because in my Savage Worlds game, and we've been discussing the fact that the card-based initiative system is very clumsy and has a lot of problems with it. And um, part of the problem is the round-by-round round thing where um, you, you it's tough to plan things more than one turn long. It's tough to plan strategies. It is. It's tough oh, to plan well, let me get into. So, so yeah. let me get into the play so, experience so, part. So we'll say... It, People, some people like it because it's a very physical thing flipping the card. The more and more I use it, the less and less I enjoy it. I, I will say that I think the nice, um, I think the nice middle ground is um, forbidden. Forbidden lands does the cards. Oh, I want to say it's only once, but I'm also wondering if that's just that we. I think it's only once. Um, if it isn't, then we may have house ruled it. So don't hold me to that. I'm I know sure when we once. play forbidden <clears throat> lands. We do it once. I'm not going to check the rules right now. Anyway, if, if, um, I ever, if I ever do Genesis again, which I'd like to do again, I plan on doing the same thing. Basically, once we get it, we just fix it. Yeah. So round by round, um, as Jerry was saying, right? So uh, one of the things it does is it creates tension at the table due to the randomness. You do not know if you're going to act first in the next round or last in the next round. Um, so you're planning. And again, this goes exactly to what Jerry was saying. Your planning winds up being more nebulous. Because you don't really know what's going to happen next. Um, you would like to run over and hit the switch before the bomb drops because you're the closest person to the switch, but you're really going to need to get to the top of the order to make that happen. Um, and you don't know if that's going to happen. Um, the one thing I will say um, is the trick to this is that these systems need to be quick. If you were going to generate initiative round by round, um, it needs to happen quickly. Otherwise it creates a lot of latency in the game, right? So yes. the reason why Savage Worlds quote works, I'm going to just use quotes. Um, the reason why Savage Worlds works maybe better than Eclipse phase is that um, if all I have to do is throw a card at you and occasionally throw two cards at somebody, um, that's way easier than everybody rolling, adding numbers, then taking all the numbers, sorting them, because if it's a D100 roll, now we're sorting, you know, uh, two digit numbers as opposed to, you know, sorting um, one through, you know, one through whatever on playing cards. Um, it's the, it, like I've run Savage Worlds, too. It's it, like for all the reasons Jerry said, it's true, but it is actually like you can do it fairly. You can do it fairly quickly, but it does create that play experience that we just talked about. I personally Actually, I'll save that because it's one of our questions when we get to the other half of the yeah. segment. So I'll yeah. leave it alone. Jerry, tell me about side-based initiative systems. This is basically both sides, the player side and the GM side, determine initiative rather than individual characters, and then each individual side acts. Um, you roll a, a D6 and the high one goes first. Uh, you roll who you, know, you pick the person with the best leadership score and they roll. Different game systems do it. Um, uh, BX does this, so basic and expert D&D. Trolls and Trolls does it. Um, I know that Fantasy Trip did it for a while. Um, and this makes the game a lot more about the group than the individuals. And team per teamwork play is going to be a lot easier and encouraged with users' initiative as all the actions on one side can be sequenced for a specific plan. But there are two problems. Number one is it also means all the enemies might go at the same time. Yes. Um, 
And it's also can have the problem that depending on how things get rolled, you have the opposition going twice in a row. Um, uh, yeah. So side, so side based, um, I guess it's fair to note side based can either be fixed right. or turn by turn. Yeah. Um, so if it's fixed, it's just, that's the way it is. Like bad guys go, then we go. But if it's turn by turn, um, all bad guys go uh, at the end of the turn roll, they win the initiative. They all go again. Um, which could be really hard on players. Yes. Or if you're the GM, vice versa, your players go two um, two rounds in a row. Um, mm-hmm. You may not like you may not be able to get anything going with your monsters. Yep. Yeah. All right. What's the next one, Phil? Uh, next one, uh, affectionately known as popcorn, mm-hmm. or the choice. Um, the character who so character who gets to act first. There's usually some mechanism for figuring that out chooses the next character to act whether it's a player or it's one of the um opposition uh and then that just bounces around until everyone's acted so um i go like i go first and then i'm like cool jerry uh you can go and then jerry's like cool the kobolds can go and then i'm like all right fine uh bob can go um and it you know like we just bounce it around the table uh marvel heroic uh, uses this mechanism. Um, I think the cool part of this thing is it creates like a little bit of a meta game, right? There's some strategic elements and kind of picking um, when you want the opposition to go. Like there may be times where you might want the opposition to go first uh, to kind of, you know, uh, either have them expend actions or abilities so that you can then line up, line them up, or maybe you want to uh, flip it and make sure that, you know, the heroes go first before you let the, you know, so that they can get a whole bunch of defenses in place before you let the, the bad guys go. So there's like a, there's a strategic little element in that decision-making, which is kind of fun. Um, it keeps everybody involved uh, because uh, you don't really know uh, when you're going to be next. Right. So uh, you got to kind of just stay in uh, engaged in the game. You can't kind of like detach and be like, for instance, if you're playing like 14th level Pathfinder, where you're like, well, it was just my turn. My initiative doesn't come back around for like 10 more minutes. Like I can check my phone. Yeah, I can check my phone. I can do what I can get up and go to the bathroom. I could make a I could maybe make ramen like I could, you know, just boil some water, make some ramen, come back before my turn comes up. So you, you got to stay a little bit more in. Um, but the other thing it does is it lends itself to a very story centric um, style where you're a little less board gamey and it's a little bit more about kind of the uh, story and drama because you're, you're specifically picking people in certain orders, right? So you can do those kind of cool things where uh, Captain America punches the guy and then immediately that player hands it off to Iron Man who then like blasts him out of the sky back onto the ground and hands it to like, you know, the player who's the Hulk who then like comes down and like, you know, two fists smashes him into the ground you can actually make that happen rather than having to uh, let the, um, you know, like hope that that all falls to place in the cards. Right. Yeah. So it's cool. So your 14th level Pathfinder play must have been very different than mine. Because when I was a GM, from the time your action started, you had 15 seconds to declare your action. Hmm. And after that, you had to, and then you had to go through it. You had to be ready on deck. It wasn't 15 seconds to declare the action that was the problem. It was like the rolling of the dice, the... Yeah, you should have that all... You said that all said you got four attacks, roll your four dice. Oh. Go ahead. Make your roll your four dice, roll your damage, 
uh, we're gonna we're gonna move this out. We did not let people sit there and, and take up five minutes for their action. The testing. end. The end of my Iron Heroes game. Like yeah. every action was like three minutes. Of oh my god, math! It was, and that was with things to speed it up. It was just brutal. <laughs> well, that's that's why it's good to have some. We we had a couple of players at my table. One of whom, like part of your job was when it was not your turn, was getting your turn ready. Like have yeah. all your have all your spells looked up, have all your dice lined up. You know, you can make a, a snap decision based on what happened in the action just before yours, but you better be ready. Like if it gets to your turn and you gotta look up a spell, that's what your turn is looking up that spell and moving to somebody else. Our dual wielding multi-attack fighter had yeah. dice in the color of the rainbow. So that um, his attack was in Roy G. Biv order mm-hmm. so that he could just roll them all at once, quick, put them in order, add all the bonuses, then go down the line and tell me like all the hit rolls. And I had, you know, yes, yes, yes. No, no. Yes. No, no. Like that. Yes. Epi- like that scene from. Uh, yes. Yes. Bob's about to. Do- <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. No, no, no. <gasps> Yes. Exactly. Uh, if you are old, you know that reference. That is a old Madeline Kahn reference from History of the World. Uh, we we used to have players that used to um, color code their dice, so they had like if they had five actions, they had five sets of colored dice. So you rolled your roll to hit and your damage dice all at the same time. So you have some four attacks might roll like fifteen dice at once. It'd be four d twenties and then twelve d sixes, two d six of each color. And with the ones that hit you added up, but this one, we we we, we organized and streamlined that shit. It's gonna be a, hard to convince me this is shit. a feature, not a bug. Yeah. Oh no, it's <laughs> oh no, it's it's still it's still a bug. But man, we did not put up with this ten minute ten minute turn or anything. Streamline just, that shit, man. Streamline nope. it. All right. Nope. Anyway, Jerry, take us to uh, take us to another uh, initiative system. All right. The next one is narrative, and in this one, the GM makes the choice of who goes next. Often by saying, "What do you do?" or some triggering phase that they hand off the narrative until they decide to take it back and pass it to somebody else. Um, games like PBTA are like this, where your action might be more than just you know one action as, as things go on in the turn. Um, the advantages are that this creates a game that focuses on the narrative, uh, and which beat would be best for that strong uh, story going forward. Uh, the GM does have to be tracked in the order as well to make sure that nobody gets skipped, and the game and or GM can go with whatever feels natural rather than relying on a randomizer or some procedure to determine who's acting. Um, this works really well with games like PBTA, because in most cases, the GM is not actually taking turns for their NPC. They just describe the situation with the players react, and the player's moves trigger whether the NPC will strike or not, or what happens. And so you don't need to have to worry about making sure that every villain acts. The players take their actions, and then what they determine, uh, what they roll and what they do determines how the uh, villains react to them as a move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I, I don't, there are not a lot of games where I think narrative is the best initiative system, but it does work really well in PBTA games for that reason, right? Like by just the simple fact that the GM doesn't actually take a turn to move monsters around and attack. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, Oh, you went to hack and slash. I'm going to do dungeon world, right? You went to hack and slash and you got a six while well, he hits you. Yep. Right. Like that's a, it's a much better, like, it, it it works in that situation and it does do that thing. I mean, we did it plenty of times when playing dungeon world, when somebody would like be like, Oh, ooh, can I, uh, can I go next? I want to do this. Like, I want to, you know, do this. Like I want to defend Bob yeah. kind of thing. Yep. Cool. Uh, I'll do another one. Um, I think this is the last one we'll do before we get ready to head into break. 
Um, this one is one that I um, love in theory and hate in practice. Um, it is the shot clock. Um, rounds are divided into segments or shots, and each action type takes up a certain amount of those segments to use them. Uh, characters get to act when their next segment comes up. So uh, you see this in Feng Shui, you see this in Aces and Eights. And so imagine it goes like this. Uh, everybody starts on zero and Bob is going to uh, shoot his shotgun, uh, which take which um, then it puts him uh, 20 segments down the initiative. He fired his shotgun. He, he will now act on neck. He will act on segment 20. Uh, Jerry, um, Jerry draws a knife. Uh, Jerry acts on segment four because drawing a knife only uses four segments. And, um, like Phil runs, um, that only, that uses like three segments. Okay. That's zero. Then we go to one. Nobody acts. Two. Oh, we're back to three. That was Phil for running. Uh, Phil is, you know, gonna also, he's gonna draw his gun, uh, add four more segments onto that. And then you just keep doing this. Um, and basically, it's just this like real time count up where the action that you take influences when you will go next. Um, and what winds up happening is that like in play, right, players can see where different characters are on the shot clock. So like if Bob fired that shotgun, like we all know he's got 20 segments before Bob can do anything else um, and they can kind of plan accordingly uh, while Bob's just hanging it out there. Hoping to God that that shotgun, like, you know, blew a bunch of people away or something hmm. and made it worth the 20 segments that just went by. I'm, by the way, I, I don't know the actual segment count. I don't want anyone flipping out. Like, that's yeah. not how long it takes to shoot a shotgun. I'm just, I'm, I'm just doing that for example. Numbers yeah. made um, up are for entertainment purposes only. For entertainment purposes only, right? Exactly. Um, it creates a back and forth, um, experience in conflicts. Like, you really get this thing where, um, it feels like the whole thing is going in slow motion, um, in part because it kind of is going in slow motion. Um, but really what, what, what really comes out of this is that, uh, different actions, um, take more segments and become kind of riskier. In some ways, this is like where AD&D tried to go with weapon speed, right? My God, yes. Yes, <laughs> right, which everyone threw away because it was brutal. Yeah. Um, but uh, the shot clock creates this thing where I'm going to take this action, and now I can't take another action for this amount of time. Or do I take a smaller action, a quicker action, so that I can act again uh, sooner? And usually that kind of trade-off is like things that do more damage tend to take longer um, an initiative, things that do less damage, you tend to recover quicker, right? With the idea being that if I swing a uh, battle axe, it takes a certain amount of time for me to swing it, to ready it again, to be ready to swing, as opposed mm -hmm. to um, the thief with two daggers, who's just like stabby, 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 right? Like, um, I don't know, look at almost, you know, look at, look at the, um, hallway fight in the Punisher in the prison, right? Like, yeah. if you yeah. want to see, you want to see the efficiency of, uh, short stabby motions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the shot clock is a, it is an initiative concept that I think is fascinating. And every time I've played it, I have never loved it. Like we played Bob and I played aces and eights once at Gen Con and, uh, well. like we played for like, I don't know, like an hour, hour and a half slot. and maybe, 
and we well, built it? characters and had one round of combat. Yes, <laughs> like we style. played like one round of combat, like in an hour. And yeah. uh, I don't know if I, I don't think I loved it. So, okay. All right. So now that we've gone through a host of systems, we're going to take a break and check with the chat room. But before we do, Bob, tell us about another show, the Mr. Tomark Network. Yeah. So I wanted to bring up this fancy little uh, shindig called Pandas Talking Games. Phil and Senda answer your questions about RPGs from the perspective of one-shots and campaigns with some panda silliness, of course, because, you know, you have to. And if you listen to it, you will love it. I know. Yeah, this. we really got to we really got to bump up the copy text on that. That's <laughs> Hey, I read if what the I'm boss is, If the boss is listening, we got to stop calling it about uh uh what you call it? We got to stop talking about it as one-shots and campaigns. We still do that from time to time, but yeah. we'll talk about anything now. I'm yeah. like like uh like Ron Burgundy over here. You put it on the teleprompter. I'm going to fucking read it. So Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh that's the show and um uh, the chat room is just delighted with this topic. Um, <laughs> Mo says he owns Aces and Eights, and it's in the shrink wrap. That's a good place for it in the shrink wrap. It's a super pretty book. It's but super it is. pretty, but it's it, a fiddly, it, fiddly system. You gotta love big games. Like yeah. you gotta be in love with one, like like four hundred page, multiple subsystem, <laughs> like kind of games. Because it has, um, not only does it have that combat system, but it has like. It has like a, a whole like rule section for how to drive cattle. Um, it's like it's like it's got like everything. It, it's like a simulationist's fantasy, right? Like everything, like the Wild West is completely simulated in that book. So Mo has a question. Um, the initiative type where the order is based on actions, which he thinks yeah. OD and D did with range, then melee, then magic. Oh, um, or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. Gangbusters yeah. had the thing where like if you punch, it's different from shooting. Doctor Who also uh Doctor Who also had an initiative system. The new Doctor Who game has an initiative system like that as well, the Cubicle 7 one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what to call that. I guess that's action based. It's an action based uh initiative. Um so it's interesting. I think what I think what's interesting about that kind of initiative system. So again, what what that usually falls into is that there are uh certain types of actions that um are predetermined to go in a certain order. Like um, talking goes before shooting, like talking goes before running, which goes before shooting, right? Like, we'll just use that as an example, right? So, um, if you, if you talk, you get to go first in the initiative order. If you're shooting, you have to go at, like, you go at the end of the order. And I think what's interesting about that is that the designer is making some statement yeah. about the importance of actions, right? If shooting is the last option in the initiative order, it's probably also the last option in the game. And I'm pretty sure in Doctor Who, um, like physically, like physical combat is the last thing you can do, um, in the initiative order. Like you can do everything else because in a Doctor Who game, you don't expect Doctor Who running around, you know, punching his way out of problems. Yeah. So the initiative order kind of reflects the same thing. Yeah, so we, I think, uh, we call, we just call that war game order. So that's how a lot of war games work. But yeah, artillery sure. goes before cavalry. Yeah, yep. and, and sure. Warhammer is the best example of that. We're going to have you're going to have the movement phase, the, the the shooting phase, the melee phase, the magic phase. Lots of games have that. That's very war game like. Yeah, and, and uh, in war and in war games, mm-hmm. and in war games again, that's trying to simulate like what a like what a battlefield might be like. 
Um, yeah. Like, you know, artillery goes off and then units or artillery takes a while to cycle through. So, you know, uh, units go first, then artillery goes. I remember that from Mech Warrior too, right? Mech Warrior had a thing with that where. Yeah, something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think when you see it in, I think when you see it in role playing games, that there is like some secret message about like a secret message that's, it's not so secret, but it's a designer message that says, I value certain actions over others because you can do them first. Yes. Um, before other actions. Mm-hmm. Like Doctor Who can talk to the Cybermen before the Cybermen can shoot anyone. Yeah. Do they shoot? I don't know. I didn't watch enough Doctor yes. Who. Okay, yes, they do. <laughs> yeah, action, watch, action like, some initiative Doctor. is a good name for that, or phase initiative would probably be acceptable. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Thanks, Mo, for bringing that one up. I, I'm, I'm always on the lookout. Like, I, I'm always... I'm always interested in other initiative systems. I don't always love them, but I love like kind of how other people um, come up with like, for instance, fate's initiative system is so, so, so like almost everybody who designs a fate game messes with the fate initiative system. Yeah. Like almost everybody has like a take on, on initiative in in fate. In fact, I hunt just has a sidebar. That's like, they give in the text, the standard, like everybody rolls. I think I forget which, um, I forget which skill it is, but everybody rolls that skill and whoever's got the highest number goes in order. And then they just have a sidebar that's like, look, everybody messes with this thing. Here's a couple of suggestions. Um, and they wind up um, recommending popcorn as well, where they're like, the popcorn system works perfectly fine for this game. It's dramatic. Um, it's dramatic. It totally like it totally works. Yeah, I like that. Not just for initiative. The, the uh, Let me rephrase that. I like seeing what other people have come up with for not just initiative, but for other systems as well. Because it's interesting to see how someone else solves a particular problem or, or uh, you know, treats a particular yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, what if we did it this way? Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm always looking for something, especially something novel, right? Yeah. Like something where I'm like, ooh. Yeah. Like I thought, um, uh, like one of the things I really like, and again, I want to say, because we've played it for so long that, there are things I think I remember about Forbidden Lands versus things that I actually remember in the rules. But like yeah. one of the things that we do, which I think is in the Forbidden Lands rules, is at the start of the initiative, the players can trade their it's initiative in the rules, cards yeah. with each other. Yeah, and it's a fixed thing for the entire combat, it says in the book. So we're oh, doing good. That all right. we, did, we are doing it correctly. Yeah, you deal out cards. Everybody looks at their card. Decide at the top of the order if you want to swap numbers. Um, then... Everybody goes in numeric order from lowest to highest. And when everybody's done, you go back around and you do it again. But at the top of the order again, you can decide, oh, I want to go first now. Give me the one. Or, oh, you've got the three. I want to go before you. Give me that. And you can do that. Yeah, it's kind of neat um, in that respect. Um, in that, like, it, 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 you establish initiative order. But then in a sides kind of way, the players are also free to be like, yeah. uh, you know what? It would make better sense. And we do this a lot in the game. Yeah. Like it would make better sense to, to let, um, Tiergar go first. Yeah. Let me step up with my big honking axe, kill something, <laughs> and then maybe they'll all run away. <laughs> oh man. I, I gotta, um, yeah, we gotta, I'll save, I'll that. save it. I'll save it for the, I'll save I it for the conversation corner. I want to, I want to, uh... I, I want to brag about you yes. in the conversation corner. Like you had, you had a, you had a really good night in, uh, Forbidden Lands. Like it was, it was a lot of fun. But yeah, the other um, thing Forbidden Lands has another rule that is a seldom remembered one, 
um, which I have, <clears throat> I have on a cheat sheet so that I can theoretically remember it and I still forget it, um, is that there's an action you can take in combat with an opponent that you're face-to-face with, and it's called feint. And all this action does is, what do you do on your turn? I feint. Boom. You immediately switch initiative cards with that opponent. Yeah. So yeah, if, that's some, if the bad guys are going first and I'm going last, and I get to the bottom of the order. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> you can steal. You can steal, steal somebody's initiative, initiative card. card. By just doing a thing. That's boom. The other, the other one I like, which we, um, it came up in the last game, and, and it didn't come up in the way I wanted it because I drew sequential cards. Is that the monster had um, multi attack, yeah. and the multi attack is draw two initiative cards and use both of them. Yeah. Oh. And, and I was like, oh, this is good. Scary, but then when yeah. in play, I drew a five and a six. And I was like, yeah. uh, like well, that's kind of boring. <laughs> I, I would have I would have liked something like a little more spread out. So it could have gone yeah, like and once eight. and then yeah. uh, uh, what you call it? And then gone again. But, yeah. eh, you know, that's the that's what happens. Yeah. But what I do like about that um, is that the cards are kind of fun. Yeah. And they are pretty quick to actually put out. But much like Jerry saying with the with some of the problems in Savage Worlds is then it doesn't change. Yeah. And so then it's really nice because you just do it really quickly. You set the order and then you just leave it unless somebody's choosing to shuffle cards. But usually you guys only shuffle cards in the first round. You like you once you set your order, you rarely break the order again. Yeah, most often. So I kind of right. I, I dig it. Good conversation. Good conversation. Let's go back into the second half of the segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so we're going to um, roundtable up um, talking about initiative systems, and we're going to uh, get in with the first question, which is, what is your favorite type of initiative system in general or implemented in a game? I, I've actually really liked the Genesis system. Um, in the Genesis system, you make a um, dice roll like based on one of your stats, get which one. And from that, you're going to generate successes and... Um, advantages and your successes and advantages so you might have like three excesses, successes two advantages so it's like a three a three a three two so the highest successes goes first and then if there's a type of successes highest advantages goes after that um the two things that happen with that is that once you have that in place so if bob goes on turn four one and i go on turn three three and phil goes on turn uh two one once that's set that's when the party goes. So somebody in the party goes on three, somebody in the party goes on two, somebody in the party goes on one. Just because Bob rolls on four doesn't mean he has to be the one to go on four. He can say, okay, first uh-huh. one up is four, so Phil can go. And now you can only act once per turn. What those additional advantages do is those allow you to set things that are going on in the scene. So if Bob has two advantages, he can say, okay, um, I'm gonna, you know, I got two advantages, so my advantages are going to be that... Um, you know, there's a sparking computer terminal in the room that's already starting to fizzle. And also, there's a lot of loose papers in the floor. And Phil might say, and there's a garbage can I can hide behind, and so on. Um, so you're setting up things about the scene that are in there. Now, you roll them every turn. Um, I think if I did this again, I would just set them as, as static. Once you roll them, that's it. Agreed. So you might have, like, Bob goes on 4-1, Phil goes on 3-2. Three, three, the bad guys, uh, the one bad guy group goes on three one. The next bad guy group goes on two eight, and so it's going to be somebody in the party goes on three, somebody in the party goes on two. Then one of the bad guy groups acts, and the second bad guy group acts, and the, whoever hasn't acted yet. So you might have Bob attacking first in round one, 
and then not attacking again until the end of round two and so on. So that's like cyclical popcorn. That's exactly what it is. It's, I, we call it the Cracker Jack. That is, yeah, Cracker yeah. Jack. A very it's cyclical popcorn. It's, 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 popcorn. A set, it's a set cyclical <clears throat> um, number, but not fixed people. So you can yeah. popcorn in, um, like you can popcorn on your side for those slots. That's... Yeah. Now... Oh, Genesis. God. And, that's every, and, and, and in the rules, that's every turn? I believe that's every turn. Oh, that's, I too, that's, that's too I, I, I haven't run Genesis. <laughs> I haven't run Genesis in a while. But um, a house rule. That's but, a house rule. Fix. But yeah, but, but but it's easy house rule. Just fix it. But it does mean that you get a chance to um, to act and you get a chance to do cool things. You get a chance to set up teamwork abilities, especially since Genesis has a lot of things you can do during combat that are non-combat. Um, when I ran Star Wars, the first three weeks out of six characters, we had four points in combat skills. And, and two, one player had two combat skills. So we had we had a player that never took combat skills. Ever didn't have a single combat skill. Every combat he was doing something else, and so that works really well for Genesis because you can have other things going on at the same time. Um, which is how you can have like two people in a shootout and one person trying to slice the computer all at the same time. Um, anyway, I like that system. When that isn't there, then I I'll be honest. I like standard. I like just plain old standard. Fixing it, you know, you roll your initiative at the beginning of the combat, and that's how it stays for the rest of the combat. I really like that a lot. Um, We'll talk later on. I, uh, when we get a little further down, I've had some uh, some problems with other ones, but we'll talk about that. So, all right, um, that's my field. And uh, Bill, what do you like? Uh, you know, I, you know, this won't be very exciting um, for for most tradition for traditional games, um, and for most games, I, I like cyclical. Um, I like only setting it once. Um, I don't mind like at the beginning of combat being like, cool, everybody roll for initiative and then like putting it in order. Um, and then I like that consistency, right? Cause then I can just churn through it, right? Like we just, you know, then we can get into just like making sure everybody's clipping along because mm-hmm. I don't have to rebuild the initiative order every time. Um, so I, I really love cyclical. My, my second, um, because when we come to PBTA games and stuff, I love narrative. Um, like when I'm playing PBTA games, I love narrative because um, then I'm just I'm just shooting, you know, like, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Um, and I'm just playing off of it. Right. So I'm just like imagining it story wise, like it, you know, Bob, Bob took his action. That's super interesting. And I want to, you know, maybe I want to pan over to Jerry, who's right next to him, or maybe I want to shoot mm-hmm. across the room to Tony yep. um, and I can do either. And it's not a big deal um with a game like you know with a system like pbta um again i wouldn't put narrative into every system because there are you know a lot of games where narrative would not be as much fun but if a game supports it like pbta i love narrative um not for any control reason just for the fact that it's kind of um it's just fun uh to basically think of it like swinging a camera around in an action scene yeah cool how are you bob I am good. Sorry, I was just answering the uh, or um, saying hello to someone in the chat room. Yeah. Um. So honestly, I, I prefer narrative. Um. It's it's you know, I I tend to favor narrative type games anyway. Um. But uh, when it comes to something that's more of a traditional game, then the standard one is is pretty good. Um, but I would like to definitely try the Genesis one, which we've determined it's you roll it once at the beginning 
and the only thing that changes round around is what slot people are going in. So oh, okay, yeah, well that's, that's oh that's that's, that's good. Thank that's, you. Yeah. As, like I said, it's been a while since I've done that one. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but yeah, that that sounds that sounds interesting. It, I, my my biggest thing is I hate getting stuck in the bottom of the order and staying there for the whole fight, especially if it's yep. a long fight. It's like, oh, you're going on eight out of twelve every freaking round for this whole it, fight. It's one of the things I loved when uh, when I first saw uh, third edition was refocus. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. So refocus was like, oh, I'm stuck at the bottom of the initiative order. I'll just this turn, I'll refocus and I'll yeah. move to the top. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it is. Um, and I like I like that. Um, I forgot about that Forbidden Lands rule too, right? The stealing of the card. That's great. Yep. So far, we really haven't had much of an opportunity to uh, to take advantage of it. But I, I keep it in my back pocket just in case. And, and you know, I, I, we didn't mention this in the first segment, but also, um, and we didn't actually get into this, right? The latency of of initiative systems, but. Part of the latency in like in initiative systems, or maybe not so much initiative systems in the turn, is like how many people are playing the game. Like our Forbidden Lands game is only um, what is it four players, so um, it moves it it moves pretty quick, right? It's not like a table of like eight D and D players, like Jerry's old um, game store, like you know full full fifteen player D and D things, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, with four players, like it, it kind of clicks along. But I, I'm with you, Bob. I love narrative initiative. Yeah. Like, it, if games can support it, I, I will always like. I never flinch at it. All right. So what's the second question? Well, what's your least favorite type of initiative system in general, or an implementation of an initiative system that you just didn't enjoy? Phil. Yeah, round to round. I don't like. I like round to round. Just kills me. Um, and you're not wrong, right? In Savage Worlds, it's 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 made a little better by just flinging cards at people. But I will also say this, right? In order to support that, I you know again because if again in Savage Worlds, if you get a Joker, you have to collect all the cards and reshuffle the deck. So um, you wind up with two decks, and then I always had like somebody at, like to the right of me who'd get an extra Benny for shuffling the. Um, yeah you know, shuffling the deck when it came off the table so that it was yeah. like ready so that I could grab the other deck and immediately go in. Like it's a thing. Plus the order thing. Like, I don't know. I don't love it. I, I don't love the chaos of it. Um, it, it, Like I know it. it's more, I don't know, maybe it more simulates how reality works or maybe it's just, you know, it makes it fast and furious or whatever, but like, I, I don't know. I, I don't love, um, I, I don't love rebuilding initiative round to round. I really like, I really just want to get it out of the way, like set yeah. it and let's go. Uh-huh. So I do not like round to round Bob. Yeah. For me, the shot clock, it's just a mess. <laughs> it's like too much fiddling, too much latency, too much. Like, like, no, <laughs> you got to do some tracking too, right? Like that's yeah, not yeah, one where you like track. write it down on a piece of paper and you're good. You like have you got to, or, a, or a, a, you know, a, uh, tokens uh, you, yeah. you you got the thing like on the edge of the um what is it your uh fucking initiative looks like the scoring on the scoring uh, on a Euro ticket to ride <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you're going like around the table with it add yeah. four add did you bump it did you what was i was i at 57 yeah yeah <laughs> oh boy <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't love, I don't love mechanics enough to love the yeah. shot clock either. Tracking initiative is hard. Oh, there's got to be a better way. 
Oh, we're going to get to that. That's our next question. But first, got to find out what Jerry doesn't Jerry. like. Well, um, first of all, like I said, I like, uh, while Savage Worlds is kind of my my fallback game, but I might as well something simple. I'm, I'm not loving the initiative. And I'll be honest, even at Savage Sundays where we have experienced GMs, it takes time to draw the cards and all that. Because if you're doing dice, it's pretty straightforward. You go, okay, roll your dice. All right, let's go around the table real quick. Bob, Phil, Jerry, Chris, Senda, what do you got? Okay, put them together. Andy, what'd you get? Great. I read them all down. And a lot of times we just use, we'll, we'll talk about, it's easy way to track that sort of thing. With cards, you gotta toss the cards out. Who's got what? Okay. Now we've all got our cards. All right. Does, a, does an ace of spades mean an ace of hearts? And oh, yeah. all that kind of, you know, yep. there's a lot of fiddling involved. <laughs> Shuffling and dealing takes time. Yep. Um, if you've got more than three players, you got a long table, you got to throw the cards and somebody, yes. somebody, you, know, you, know, you hit somebody in the face with a card or whatever. It's, there's a lot of little things. Even playing at home on Zoom, it takes time. Um, it's, it's not, it's, I don't think it simulates anything. I think it's just a, a fun mechanic. People like to play with cards, but, um, I, I'm, I'm not in love with it. And we've been giving some serious thought to what to do differently. And being that we just finished a story arc. We're going to try something different with our next one. And we're going to see what we want to try. You know, I, I think it, I'm not loving it. it I think, I, I mean, again, Savage Worlds also harkens back to its, um, to its roots as well. Right. Wasn't that like kind of, um, it was a, it was a card based game. The original game was a yeah. card based game. Yeah. Yeah. So it like kept, it's like what it kept part of its card based oh, yeah, thing. Definitely. Yeah. And, and, and the original game was Deadlands, which was, you know, all about gambling and everything else. Exactly. Right. I'll like, be honest. The other thing is I have mixed feelings about popcorn initiative. I've played popcorn initiative. And I've seen it go well. I've seen it. What I've seen it do is I've seen popcorn initiative become latency as well because people start trying to, okay, well, do I want to act or do I want to give somebody else an action first? It, it does have a bit of a, um, I've seen it have a, have a delaying tactic. And also it, it can end up getting you screwed when you really need to do something, but now the bad guys are going to get to act, you know, twice. And God forbid that, you know, you end up with, two bad guys left at the end of the turn and then they both decide, okay, um, one acts and the other acts that he chooses at the beginning of the next turn to let the other guy act. So it's like, I don't see getting, you're getting pile driving done. Um, it's not bad. I just, it's not my favorite and I've seen it used really, really well. And I've seen it, I've seen it be just slogging. So it's I, I think any game I, I, that you have to manage. Yes. There's, there's management. I, I think that like, so for Marvel, and I think uh, somebody said Sentinels uses it as well. I think it's great for a comic book, right? Like, I think for a comic book game, it's super yes. good because it's the kind of thing that um, works really well to make something super heroic. Um, so I, I think it has, I definitely think it has merit for that. I will agree that I think it is, um, I think it creates a, a, a bit of latency. And I think it also runs the danger of the alpha gamer. Yes. Right? Because then you get somebody who's like, you should pick Bob next. Mm-hmm. Right? Like yeah. because they're like, you know, trying to orchestrate the whole table, right? So it's got like a real um it's got a real danger of like kind of calling out an alpha gamer. Like I, I I'll be honest. Yeah. Based on my occupation, yes. Popcorn initiative is probably bad for me. <laughs> right? I spend all my time organizing people into groups and in ordering, you know, and ordering things like putting things in order. Like all I'd want to do is like, you know, oh, we have popcorn. It's our initiative. Okay, here's what we're going to do. And then that's just alpha game territory. That's alpha yeah. game territory, right? Like, I, I think it's I think it's also a case of you could also have the reverse true, which is if you have somebody 
who is who 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 isn't very decisive. You get the gamer who's not big on tactics and 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 numbers. They also have a latency issue where okay, I don't know what to do next. Too. So I don't know who to pick next. Yeah, I don't know who to pick yeah. next. Yeah, and that can become a problem too. So it's it's got its it's got its its good points. I'm not saying it's bad. I've just had some some problems with it. You need the right game and the right picks. I think it works best in some games. And I think that can be said for all leadership systems. So yeah, I mean, I think right. that I mean part of I, I think part of um, I think part of your design process as a designer, especially as you're playing, like as you're if you're building a game from the ground up, is uh, looking at um, how do I want to deal with initiative um, in terms of, you know, one, I, I probably need an initiative system mm-hmm. and two, which initiative system uh, a fits this game well, but B is also pretty playable. Right. Yeah. And by playable, I mean, playable within the context of the game itself. Right. So if a game is super fiddly, like aces and eights, which, which not only has the shot clock initiative, but also has overlays, um, these plastic overlays that you, uh, plastic overlay that you put over a target when you roll to see where the bullet goes. Yeah. Um, it is exactly the right initiative system for aces and eights. It's not the right initiative system for Phil, but aces and eights also isn't the right game for Phil. Yeah. Right. The, the right game for Phil is a, PBTA um, Western game where none of that really matters. And yeah. there's like a move when you have a showdown with someone and you just roll the move and play it out narratively. Like that's the better game for Phil, but as a designer kind of, you know, picking like, for instance, there's a reason Robin laws picks the shot clock for feng shui, right? Because it's, it's that high, it's that um, hard boiled action it's also the uh, John Woo when when things slow down kind of, you know, moment um, as, you know, certain actions are going to, you know, take longer than others. That creates that that dramatic tension of like, can he get this magazine back into the gun and reloaded before the other guy can swing around, you know, with the shotgun and, and, and you know, blast them like there's this real design consideration. Um and if you're doing it right, you're matching the complexity of the game and the genre and what you're trying to get out of it with the initiative system. Um, but other times a game is simple and you just want to be like, fuck it. Like, like it, you, I don't need to spend this much time on my initiative system, right? Like everybody roll a die, add your agility. Yep. And, and there's a perfect, and, and there are many games where that's a perfectly valid design decision. Um, you know, I'm just thinking like that, um, I forget the name of it, but the Kickstarter that I backed for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like game, um, like that doesn't need a complicated initiative system, right? Like, yeah. like if it's like roll a die and add a number to it, like I'm, I'm on board. Like I wasn't looking for anything too complicated out of that game to begin with. So just a, just a, you know, thought to keep in your head, like they're, um, you know, I, I think it's interesting when you look at initiative systems, kind of what the designer thinks of how yeah. the world in, works in their game. Yeah. All right. What cool. about question three? Uh, yeah, question three, man. Um, what are your favorite tools, commercial or homemade, for organizing initiative? Because everybody's got a system yep. for organizing initiative. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, what do you like? What don't you like? Um, Bob? 
Yeah, so I uh, I really like cards as a tool, even mm-hmm. if I don't like the systems that use them. You know, like that we've talked about the the inherent problems with using cards as initiative in Savage Worlds with latency mm-hmm. and oh, does the Ace of Hearts go above the Ace of Spades? You know, like figuring out all that stuff. But I like cards. I like the tactile. Like you know, I've got a card in my hand and. Oh, we can switch cards if there's a mechanism like that, and you just hand it off. Um, like I, I like cards. Um, you like you cards in general. Down, you like cards for uh, lots. Yeah, you like cards for lots of things. I've seen people um, have a card with each um, with each character's name on it, and mm-hmm. as the person calls off their initiative, they're sorting the cards in the order of the sure. initiative order, and then they just shuffle through the deck. Okay, it's your turn. Okay, put you on the bottom. Okay, now it's your turn. Oh, put that card on the bottom. And they cycle through. Like, I like cards. <laughs> yeah. I'm a yeah, card I, guy. I totally get it. Cards are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about you, Jer? Right, well, I I thought that the uh, the Pathfinder Magnetic Combat Board was great. Oh, um, yeah. The old, also, also one I nominated as well. Go ahead. Those those of you who, who when Pathfinder first came out, uh, they had something called a treasure chest. And the treasure chest was a box that had a very good module in it into the haunted forest. It had uh, a, a deck of treasure cards, which with all of the treasure, which lots of treasures, but included all of the treasures from the game. It had uh, a flip map for all the major counters and then a set of, of uh, map cards for the smaller ones. And then it had the critical hit deck and the magnetic board. This is a magnetic chart. This dry race. You wrote the names of in a different color, little magnets on it. So you'd have Colored magnets for the heroes, colored magnets for the monsters, and um, it didn't even. I don't think it even had numbers. I think you just you rolled your initiative, and then you could write the initiative on the thing. You just line them up, and yep. you just went down the chart like this. You could stand. Oh up. no, it had numbers. I think at least the one I had had numbers because sometimes had numbers. I had like big gaps in mine. But you don't actually need and, them. Yeah, no, you don't need you don't need the numbers, right? And and what I used to do is I, because I still use a GM screen. I used to just take one of those those uh, big uh, black plastic um, paper clips with little. That would just paper clip it to the front of the GM screen. Yep. And, and just and I would have the players call out the initiative to me. That way I didn't even once it was in place, I didn't have to track it at all. Let somebody else do it. Um I liked that a lot. Um uh, the other thing I liked about it was if you were holding an action, you would slide your um you would slide the little chick yes. thing out to the side a little so yep. that people knew like, oh, you're here in the order, but you're waiting yep. for something. Yep. That yep. was always good. Yeah, that was clever. Um a lot of times now because we use uh I'm not a huge fan of GM screens anymore, but sometimes I'll put one up just to, for reference. Or if the GM screen has a lot of good charts, then I'll set it to the side. But um, little, basically little tiny table tents with just the character's name on it, and I would line them up across the top. So I would just say, okay, yeah. you know, a real initiative. Okay, uh, you know, Bob got a 20, so I'm going to put him here. Phil got a 15. Okay, um, you know, Andy got a, got a 17, so I'm going to put her between or put them between Bob and uh, Phil and go on down the line like that. This keep them all lined up, and that was where the initiative was. Just kind of tap the tap as you go down, left to right, right to left. Um, and lastly, um, I'm a big fan of dry race cards for just about damn near everything. Yep. And uh, lately, we've been using those. Just take you can get dry race cards really cheap on Amazon now. Just write a race initiative on them, line them up in front. There you go. There's our initiative. You know, who goes first? If somebody moves, you slide them off. Even for something like popcorn initiative, you can use it for that. Um, but I think they, these are all tools that make tracking initiative easier than just having a piece of paper that raises initiative written on it, trying to go back down through and keep track of what's what. Yep. Um, 
my old days playing games like Villain Vigilantes, where your initiative was your agility plus 10. And you start at the highest number and work down. And every 15, you got to go again. So not only did you have to know your initiative, you had to do mathematical. So basically, anybody with their initiative above a certain number got to act twice. So you get somebody with their, you know, uh, you know, Bob. I have, a six, I have a sixty, so I'm acting on I'm acting on sixty, forty five, um, thirty, and fifteen. Yeah, and and Bob and Bob has a Bob has an eighteen, so he goes on eighteen and three. Um, yeah, <laughs> and and it, that's that's not unusual because your stats were normally three d six, but you're superhero, so you can get numbers up into the hundreds. Yeah, your um, Spider Man guy would go like a bunch yeah, of times. Yeah, yeah. It, it made it made things more difficult. So I'm a big fan of tools like that. Um, those kind of combat trackers. Even in uh, Roll20 now, they have the little initiative box on the side that makes things very easy to play with. Phil? Oh, Jerry covered most of I mine. Stole both, I stole both yeah. of yours. Oh, crap. Go ahead. Wait Jerry covered most see. of mine. Um, I, I loved the combat pad. I even still have mine. Like It's in a folder mm-hmm. tucked away in a box. Yep. I don't think I'm playing anything like that in the near future, but I love it. Um, that one's always been good. Um, the... Um, like it was just it, it's super good the thing about it was um you know like maybe at the start of the game like when you're setting up for the game you would just write all the players on those chiclets those little magnets mm-hmm. um and then sometimes i would just like if i was going to have a real combat heavy night night i would write them out for the monsters and like keep them off like in a like on the side of my um table so that i could just like quickly be like oh the skeletons the ghouls right boom ready no. to go um Super easy to set up, super easy to reset. So like when you were playing low level, like, you know, games where you had like um, five, six encounters in an evening, like you could set it up and rearrange it really quick. It was super good. Um, And it was like you said, it was way better than writing them down on like an index card and like, you know, have it like everybody calling out their stuff. Um, Totally love that. I love the initiative tracker in Roll20. I don't even really like like. I'm not a, I'm not a uh, folks on a map kind of person. Like we don't do a lot of um, like we did for DCC, but like my other games, I don't really do the tokens um, on bat, you know, like on battle mats and things mm-hmm. like that. But boy, that thing where uh, that thing, when you do use it, where everybody just clicks initiative and their token and it puts them in the tracker. And all I got to do is like quick roll up the initiative for the monsters and put them in. And then hit the sort button. That's a chef's kiss right there. That is, um, like, I love it. We use it for, um, we even use it in um, Forbidden Lands. And we don't even, like, I, I don't even roll them. I just bring it up and put everybody's number in and then hit the sort thing. But the cool part is it's the, for people who haven't used it, it, it brings up this little box. It puts everybody's initiative in. It has their name and their initiative number. And then it has an arrow button. So after the person on the top acts you push the arrow button and it puts them on the bottom and the next person's on the top and you just like you just keep doing it it's great yep you can easily Um, see who's up yeah i love it i'll tell you um because i i normally sometimes we used to put in uh hacks and things like that i'll tell you what initiative system i would love for um when we play at the table again in person would be something um that incorporated character stuff and schwazi like time for initiative and everybody just puts their finger on the table you you know or like everybody puts their finger on the ipad schwazi with stats (laughs) right schwazi with stats right like everybody puts their finger on the on the thing and then like boink and then it just 
produces the initiative order. That would be to so me, cool. that would be like the, that would just be so awesome. Yeah. I, I know there are some apps. I've never tried them out, but there are some apps which um, someday when we go back to um, yeah. playing face to face, like I, I may like enlist a um, I may enlist like an iPad app or something for managing initiative um, because I do really like the roll 20 uh, thing. I will also say is kind of a slightly um, sidebar thing before, before we wander off a future segment or future show we will do one day is the return to the table yep. sometime in late 21, early 22, when we start talking about returning to the table and playing, because part of me is like, I can't wait to get back to the table because I want to be in front of all you guys. And I like having stuffs at the table, but also part of me is like, I now may need to also have roll 20. How many, how many tables are going to come back to physical face to face, but add a monitor with, with, yep. with a roll 20. Uh, log yeah. On it, there or... are things that I like, there are things I really like in roll 20. Like I really want to play face to face with you guys, but I love the thing where I put notes in the, uh-huh. um, like in roll 20 that you guys can pull up later. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, I love that, mm-hmm. um, especially like in Forbidden Lands where we have all these legends and uh, things like that. Like it's yeah. super convenient for the players to be like, wait, 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 we've heard of the Malgram sword. Like go and look and like call up the uh, the legend of it again. Like, yeah, that's going to be a future discussion. Like we Definitely. like what will what will the post covid face to face tabletop look like? Yeah, cool. Um, but I'm not going to schedule it. We just yeah, we'll know. We'll know when we're all vaccinated and we're ready to start playing face to face again. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That's a, a little tear in my eye thinking about uh, that moment. Like that moment's coming. Um, anyway, we yeah, should, we should probably wrap up. up the uh, question period. Yep. All right. So that was, our, <coughs> excuse me. that was our garage. Our Redux initiative. Yeah. We hope you, we enjoyed this uh, look at initiative and the next time you are checking out a new game, uh, that some of this, you know, might be, you know, put to use when you uh, look through the new, you know, the mechanics of the new game. Yep. All right. So one more trip to the chat room before we hit the conversation corner. And we have a, uh, a comment from Mo again. Um, there was an initiative system in a board game that he thinks would be really cool to see in an RPG. For each action you get in a round, you put a cube of your color in a bag. And then each turn... A cube is drawn, and that person gets to act. When the bag is empty, you put them back in. Okay. Uh, shoot, what game is that? I think there's a role playing game that uses that. It's an interesting. It's a. It's an interesting system. I yeah. think. Um, it, so it's interesting because mechanically, what it says is that whatever values multiple action probability wise values your chance to go first. And then later, because if you think about the mathematics of it, if I get to put three cubes in a bag and the rest of you only get to put one, there is a three times greater chance that my cube is going to come up first. Now, the thing with this, and I think, um, God, what game did we design where we started looking at the math of this and it got really bonkers really quick is that when you have a, oh, I know when I was working on the mechanics for uh, Hydra Hackers. With the bag, with the, you know, oh, with yeah. the water tokens and stuff. The, so that, so that kind of, um, that kind of pouch based game. And I think, Mo, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the game New Orleans also has, um, 
this kind of uh, put a bunch of things in a pouch and pull them out kind of mechanic. The math for that gets really interesting because every turn, the probability in the bag. Um, oh, just Orleans. Thank you. Every time you pull something out of the bag, the probability of the bag changes because it's immediately affected by the draw. Yep. So um, it, it like it becomes so one, it's a super hard way to predict um, because even if I put three tokens in, there's no guarantee I'm acting first. Yep. Right. Like I'm probably going to act early, but um, but who knows? I, I may act some other point in, in the. You get X number of chances first, to get first, that first round pick. <laughs> yeah. For some, reason, for some reason, I think there's a role playing game that I played, might have been a board game, with a similar mechanic where you put a number of tokens of your color into a bag based on your agility score, which is between one and four. And so if you had agility of three, you put three tokens in if you're agility with two. And then each turn, the GM just kept drawing colors out until everybody acted. So you might get multiple actions, but you might not get to act till the end of the turn. Yeah, it's it, weird because it made it very chaotic. Yeah, it's weird because it, it what it doesn't really what it doesn't do consistently well is it doesn't say your high initiative. It doesn't say like your high initiative guarantees you go first, right? Like like putting three cubes in a bag in a random draw is different than um what's called is different than giving me like a plus ten to initiative. Yeah. Now, um if everybody acted only once per turn and once you're um, cube was drawn, you didn't act again, mm-hmm. putting three cubes into the bag each turn. Yeah. Changes how I, I have a more likely chance of going first because right. I'm three to one. Once I've gone, my cubes no longer count. So if it comes out again, you just discard it and pick the next one. Yeah. Um, that would be an interesting way to, mm-hmm. um, to look at it. And then reloading the bag every turn is actually not that hard. You would just scoop all the colors up. The harder part um, where a little bit of latency would occur is, um, one, you're going to have to remember every color for every player. And then if the GM has multiple um, groups of enemies and they get different initiatives, then you're dumping those colors into the bag as well. And now it's like, well, who's got the cyan cube? Oh, that's me. But which one of my groups is the cyan cube? Like, it's not impossible, right? Like no. it's not possible. It's too. Um, I'm not. I think, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's great though. I'm not sure it's not great. Um, it's an interesting thing. <laughs> I just. I think. I think the thing line. is finding the right game that would suit. Um, yeah. That would suit both those models, right? One model is put all the tokens in and then reload it after every turn, right? So that would be a round by round initiative, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. versus put all the tokens in and you get multiple actions one for each turn you get pulled out like i think you want you wind up with a really um different kind of initiative yeah <clears throat> i see anything where you don't have to do math is what uh yeah um so that's my schwazi idea right mm-hmm. like you put your you put your bonuses into schwazi and then you just put your finger on it yeah, yeah like everybody schwazi. i mean that essentially what schwazi is doing is just rolling a die yeah yeah Right. Like, I mean, the actual program, right? Like when everybody puts their finger on it, it basically registers. There are, you know, five touches to this thing. I'm going to now generate a random number for everyone, order it. I'm going to now take away all of the circles, uh, except for the last person who has either the highest or lowest number, whatever the program mm-hmm. does and highlight it. Right. So Schwazi is essentially rolling initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, the only difference to the program would be that instead of discarding all the other ones, 
because most board games follow the philosophy of pick first player and then go play um, around the around the table. Mm-hmm. The only thing Schwazi would do different is just say, I've picked all the numbers um, and here's the order. Yeah. Oh, I want a hack of Schwazi now. <laughs> I want a hack of Schwazi to do this. Oh, man. Oh, that would be fun. Oh, I like that. It would be interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really, it, it's not that different. All right, well, let's uh, roll on into the conversation corner here. Do it! Yay, conversation corner. Yay! Woot, woot. So, uh, in the week since last we spoke, um, <laughs> we had some games. Um, we we did? A, we had our DCC finale, quote-unquote. We may go back to it someday, but... Yeah, yeah. The current adventure we were on, which at one point looked like it may go down as a total party kill, and then all of a sudden everything just kind of flipped, and it was like, oh, we're going to crush this. <laughs> yeah, I, I looked at those stats, and I was like, I think you guys have a decent uh, decent chance against this thing, but it is actually pretty tough. Yeah. And then Jim, um, <laughs> which was, you know, I will say this on a meta level. Jim did not have a lot of luck rolling things during the course of the, like, the time no. we played DCC. Like he often rolled really low, yeah. but he, so here's, here's the deal for everybody who wasn't part of the game. Cause the three of us were, um, so I should probably explain the setup. Uh, the players had to, um, the players had to go get this cerebral fluid from this giant, um, Tarrasque like monster that was magically asleep. Um, and of course it wakes up, right? Cause, yeah. because why wouldn't it? Well, cause, it wa- cause, Lady, cause Lady Mavisa poked it. Correct. Uh, so it wakes up and it, so the, the the cool mechanic part is the way it was designed is like each turn it gets stronger and stronger. Like it's AC goes up, it's attack dice bonuses, damage and all that goes up. Um, so there's a huge benefit in, in getting this thing killed early, but it also had a whole ton of movement, which is very uncharacteristic for something like a Tarrasque, but this thing could haul ass, um, which poses a huge problem for the players. If this thing starts running around um, and the players can't catch it because it'll get stronger by the turn. So it wakes up, we roll initiative, and it's in this pit, which it can jump out of. It's like this 40-foot deep pit, and it can jump out of and hit the deck running. Mm-hmm. Bob is down there, like, eye-to-eye with this thing, like, getting ready to, like, pound on it. And um, Jim's Jim's priest, his cleric, comes running up to the edge and yells a command at it, and it has, like like something like a, a 10 will save. So I'm like, this probably isn't going to work, but he rolls a 23 and I'm like, well, that's a pretty good roll. I still got to just, I got to just get over like a 13 to get it. And I rolled a three. Yeah. So Jim orders it by word of command to stay and takes away its movement. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's going to change things. Yep. <laughs> like, like, this combat's going to go in a very different direction as opposed to it leaping out of the pit and you guys like chasing after it turn after turn as it's getting stronger and then coming after you guys instead it got stuck in the bottom of the pit uh for like five turn it never saw five. it never saw turn five it's ass <laughs> it was oh it was, it was a lot of fun it was a good fight <laughs> it was good i really it could have been a completely oh, different yeah. fight um but it's DCC, man. Like it's yeah, just you don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know what's gonna happen. It was good. Glorious. It was good. It was a lot of fun. And I was glad, like I was glad that Jim um 
I was glad that Jim like had a really profound moment. Yeah. Yes. Uh, in the game because he had, he has not always had the best roles or luck with things. And he like really, he really clinched the moment that made that fight um, came through in the end. a very different fight. Mm-hmm. So that wrapped up DCC. And then we, we spent a few minutes uh, discussing potential, uh, potential characters for our, uh, uh, sprawl, our sprawl campaign that we're going to kick up. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. Um, Friday night, we had uh, our Dresden Files campaign, which, uh, again, um, having a ball with it. Just very, very Dresden-y. Um, it was, uh, it's a good time. It's, I, I won't go into a whole bunch of detail. I don't want to take a ball up. Um, and uh, I mentioned earlier, it's nice watching a real TV again from a, from a recliner, sitting in a nice comfy chair, watching the TV from a distance. Now I got a yeah. sound bar and like listen to listen to good sound from it. I watched an episode of WandaVision like that. I'm like, yeah, baby, this is good. This is good. <laughs> the That's only downside awesome. is my new TV. Um, it's a smart TV, and so you have quote unquote the apps. So it's already got all the major ones like Disney Plus and Netflix and all that other shit. Um, but there isn't an app for Fubo TV, which is my my subscription provider that I decided on. Because it's heavy on sports and, and, and has a few other things that I like. Um, so right now, the only way, and you can't add new apps to this TV, which is stupid. Oh, that's so not Shame good. on oh. Vizio for not allowing you to add an extra app to your TV. So the only way that I can watch Fubo is either from my computer or to Chromecast it from my phone to the TV, which works great. Sure. But it's an extra step. i got to connect my phone to the Wi-Fi. And then I got to cast it. And then I got to remember not to touch the volume on the phone because messing with the volume on the phone messes with the volume on the, on the cast. And it's like, eh, everything is wacky. So. And, uh, Sunday we had our Forbidden Lands game, which mm-hmm. was glorious because we had a setup from the previous week, two weeks ago, where Sean's character tried to cast some magic and created a, um, a, a magic out of control situation. And you roll a D66 to determine what goes wrong. And Sean got the worst possible outcome, a 66. Which means a portal opens, a demon comes through, grabs the caster, and takes him, and the character's done. And as we said last session, we decided that um, we didn't want Sean's character to go out like that. Um, We all liked the character. We said, let's give this a chance. We ended the session there because it was at the end anyway. And we said... Phil's going to just set it up so that the demon comes out, grabs Andalora, and then we roll initiative and we have a chance to stop the demon from taking her. And so we were like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> and I stepped up with my demon killing axe, <laughs> rolling 11d6 plus a d8 for my axe feet. Uh, d10. Oh, well, d8 for, the, for my axe right, right, talent. Right. And then a D10 artifact die from the Axe's Magic, which is its D10 uh, artifact die against demons. And because it's a monster, I get plus one. So I was rolling 12 D6, and it automatically gets plus one damage because it's a monster. Those are all the talents that I've got. So I rolled 12 D6, a D8, and a D10, and I got six successes, which tallies up to... (laughs) Eight points of damage. 
Which is huge. And I for, have a talent uh, that lets me say, no, you don't get armor against this. Nope. None. Yeah, no armor roll. <laughs> no right. armor roll. So it's like, eat it. Suck it. <laughs> it was bad. That fight was supposed to last. That fight was supposed to go a different way, and it didn't. Like, But the best thing is after Bob hits it, he like looks at the demon, and he's like, put her down. I'm your problem now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, okay. That's <laughs> I believe That's you're beautiful. correct. I was, oh, it was, it was glorious. Like, I, like we've played a lot. I mean, we, we've played that game for, you know, coming around on two years. I've never seen that much damage on a roll. Like when he popped it up and we were like looking at the successes, we were like, damn. And, and the then, best part of all is the D10, which is the artifact die because it's a demon. I rolled a 10 on it. So that's which is three, three successes. successes right there. And I'm like, that die did its job. <laughs> Well, and and the killer is the thing had six dice of armor, right? So, like, it's supposed to be able to absorb a bunch of stuff, but we're now at the level of the game where people have the abilities that are like, I spend a willpower point, it doesn't get an armor, it doesn't get an armor check, and it's like, well, now, like, that's going to (laughs) hurt. That demon was not happy, and then was even less happy a couple rounds later when we finished it. (laughs) Well, Jim hit it with a sneak attack, and the sneak attack is... um, you can spend willpower one for one to just keep doing more damage to yeah, it. Extra damage. That was brutal. He ran, he just like, he ran it through, pumped it full of like pumped up his roll with a whole bunch of willpower and just like dropped the thing to the ground. It was great. Yeah. Ah, and I will, um, I'll pick it up in a second after uh, Jerry goes, I'll pick up what happened also in that forbidden yep. lands game. All right, Jerry. Uh, for me, um, lots of your games this week, just kind of, Chilling and veg in between work. But uh once again we get we had our band of blades game, which um went very, very well. Yep. Uh we're in deep, deep trouble and uh we're now at the point where we're starting to see some attrition to our team. And Band of Blades is all about making choosing the best bad decision and going forward from there. Um and it's just a lot of fun. Um and uh we're getting a chance to play because the way band of blades works is that every mission you have two uh, like player characters and then a bunch of um, basically white shields that are with you that you then flesh out each game. And so each game you might be playing a different character. So you know Bob might play his character three games in a row and I might be playing a different white shield each week. So it gives you a chance to play different characters, come up with different personality traits. Uh, one week you might be playing somebody who's the equivalent of like a fourth or fifth level character and the next week you're playing a zero level commoner with a stick. And, um, but as you go, those white shields become better as well. So you become attached to these characters. So it's just been a lot of fun. Um, uh, DCC, of course, was great. Um, I really enjoyed my character who, um, ha- was, was not the brightest bulb in the batch, but, um, <laughs> had, had some, had some pretty interesting <clears throat> abilities. And then thanks to some lucky dice rolls after we finished one mission, uh, became kind of a, a dim-witted powerhouse. And, um, uh, <laughs> And I just go ahead. Can I tell my favorite Lady Bamisa story? You're glad. Because it was in the last session. I said open the door. Keep talking. Go ahead. So Lady Bamisa, as Jerry said, is not smart. Not bright at all. I forget what her intelligence is, but it is not good. Um, but she is an absolute killing machine. So I said that there was this magical sleep spell over the the Tarrasque like creature. And Chris's character, who was the wizard, is like watching the spell. And everybody's pretty sure it's going to fail, right? Chris had like analyzed it, like studied it and was like, 
It's not very strong. It could be disrupted. And he's at the top of the pit. And Lady Bamisa, Bob's character, and um, uh, Sean's character are all in the bottom of the pit. And they go to climb onto the Tarrasque, and the spell fails. It's not the Tarrasque. It has some ridiculous name. because yeah. But the spell fails. And so Chris yells down into the pit. He's like, spell is, he goes, spell is failing. And Bamisa turns around and goes, I is, uh, I S F A I L. <laughs> yes, we had a good time. Lady Bamisa is very literal. Um. And just everybody's like, I lost it. Like, I just, I totally lost it. We had to like pause for a second. It took me a second to get what was going on, and then I realized, like, you were literally spelling is failing. I think I got to L before before I suddenly sunk into everybody what was going on. Um, yes, there's a lot of fun. But I, I really like that character. I don't I don't generally play characters who are not that bright. I tend to play the thinkers and not the powerhouses. Um, Lady Bamisa in this game is kind of the equivalent of Bob's character in Forbidden Lands because um, she has a she has a she has she has a character she has a character ability that lets her add her luck bonus to her bonus to hit, and then she has a special ability that we got from something that we did with 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 uh, with Phil's with one of the adventures that gives her her luck bonus to hit with things, and then twice now we've had rewards that have bumped up her luck, and so she's just got a lot. She's she's not super skilled. She's just very 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 lucky, and. I- um, and, and and it and it pays off. Uh, I I I think that's where the mechanically that might be the comparison ends because Bamisa's like a bad '90s anime character. Like yes, yes, she's yes. she's she's like a like she's the kind of anime character that like if you watched it now you'd be like, oh I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. This anime got some part problems. Of the comparison is if she hits something, it's gonna hurt. Yes, yeah. which she consistently hits things. So, yes. <clears throat> yeah, and she can anyway. take, and she can take a hit too. Now she, she's she's tough enough to to go in front and be the okay, go ahead and hit me kind of thing. Yeah, she nice. can tank up. Yeah, which is fun. I don't normally play the tank. I, so. I apologize for interrupting you, but that story about Bamisa killed me. Oh, like that was it, it was one of my true like one of the true times I've like seriously laughed like in the last like couple months. <clears throat> So it's a fun game. You can create a good session for us. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we did Dresden Files, which is a lot of fun. I'm learning a lot more about how to work Fate. Um, I think part of my problem with Fate characters is most of the games I have don't give you good examples of like, like, okay, pick two aspects, such as what? You know, aspects. <laughs> um, and trying to come up. So we're developing the characters as they go, but I'm learning a lot more about how the dice work, what results are actually. I'm, I'm a very mechanical person. Even if I'm not playing a mechanical game, I want to know what the probability is. I want to know how things work. Um, and for Fate, because it is such an unusual dice system, it's not an easy bell curve to look into. And so understanding whether or not a plus one or a plus two is good to have, mediocre to have, bad, you know, because when you see on the chart, there's things like, oh, plus, plus seven, plus eight, and I've got a plus one. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I could theoretically roll a plus five altogether. Now that I understand more about how things go and where the numbers are, it makes it a lot easier to make choices. Um, because I was gonna say, did you have you never been to the? Uh, uh, oh God, what is the name of that website that does the uh, probability curves? There is one. It's not super. It, it, it even even that doesn't. Well, I've been to two 
I've been two one, and even that one wasn't any like, die. Thank you, Mo. Thank you. Because uh, because I've been because I looked at games like so this is one of the reasons why I thought that that uh, the new Torg failed horribly because um, it was one of these it, Torg is one of these games where unless you're really really good at something, don't bother trying it um, because your chance of success is medial is 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 less than like thirty percent, and when it comes to things like swimming or not getting killed, it's it's just not worth it. Hmm. And we've played tour games where the entire where the party just spent the entire game avoiding conflict because the first time we got into conflict, like half the party died. So fate isn't like that. But I'm, now that I'm learning that, it makes it a lot easier to play the game yeah. um, because when you think when you have a game where the whole game is all about um, sacrificing resources to achieve things, and you don't know what the what your chance of success is you're very reluctant to give up those limited resources. And when you know, okay, it's easier to get resources back, and I know what's worth it and what's not. It makes it a lot easier to play and give you some ideas. We're having a lot of fun. On top of that, the scenario that Chris is doing in Dresden Files is just amazing and a lot of fun. Um, though I've occasionally made some comments that because I don't know all the terminology, made people kind of jump back in surprise. Like when I said, oh yeah, I, I, you know, I deal with outsiders. And everyone's like, because <gasps> apparently outsiders in Dresden Files are different than outsiders just in general. Yeah, outsiders so, are a thing. Yeah. So, I, so I'm going to break this math down pretty quickly because yeah. I, I don't, I've, I've ne- like I don't think fudge math is or um, fate math is that complicated. Fate dice average out to a zero. Yes. So basically, um, fate dice average out to a zero, and most GMs pick three as their default difficulty for something, right? Unless it's opposed, and then you pick the uh, opposite thing. So. If you have a two in something, you probably got to spend a you probably have to spend a fate point on an aspect to get to greater than three. Right. To get to a four. Um, if something is like two higher than your skill, you're probably going to have to spend fate points. If it's four higher, you're probably going to have to spend a few more kind of thing. Right. Like the, the way like so the idea has always been in fate and fudge if you are good at something so if you have a four in something then on average you will always be good at it you will occasionally be bad at it right that's the minus four and occasionally you will be exceptional at it that's the yeah, plus eight. I, don't, I don't think i've ever played a fate game with a plus four i don't think every, i've ever played i don't think i've ever played a fate game with a plus uh you guys are playing accelerator right so is it plus three Plus, yeah, is your plus highest three. stat so in core in core four is the highest stat in okay. accelerated i think it's three so in yeah. accelerated two is the target number that you usually pick for yeah. um passive okay. resistance okay. um we get a lot of ones and twos which makes sense right but the point the point being is that the way that you always look at it is whatever it is you're really good at on average you're going to get that number and then you always just look at how much higher do I have to go? Because every one of those is one fate point for two, um, two things above. So if something is like an eight defense, you probably got to get some create advantages out on the board to build up enough invokes to overcome the distance you have to get on the, on the thing. Anyway, we don't have to belabor the point. I just, because now that you've gone there, this is, this is the part that I have some issues with, with fate though, is that, if the average difficulty is about equal to my best stat, then that means that I'm always sacrificing things just to break even. Yeah, but you're supposed to, right? So fate points are fate points are an economy. 
you're supposed to. All right. So, all right. Now we're going to go down the fate rabbit hole a little. Yeah. Fate points are an economy. You're supposed to spend them fluidly in the game because the way that you get them back is through compels against your uh, trouble aspects. And that's what makes the game dramatic is that I'm going to give you a fate point because your aspect um, doesn't know when to walk away gives me an opportunity to make this um, to make this scene more challenging because I'm going to suck you into the scene. And part of the thing about being a GM is monitoring who's got what in fate points to know when to start um, pushing compels on people. But part of being a player in um, fate is to spend your fate points freely and let yourself get compelled into problems. Like right. that's the cycle of the game. Like part, so you need the, you, so there's the math part, mm-hmm. but there's the drama cycle, which is kind of fueled by those fate points. And then to supplement that, the idea of create advantage is that create advantage creates um, aspects with free invokes that don't actually cost you fate points. So you get those. And then if you're really good about it, you not only create them, but other people can then build on them. So like, let's say I create a, like, let's say I create an aspect of like room on fire and I get a free invoke for it. If Bob on his turn um, uses his, um, his flame control ability to make the fire worse, he can actually create an advantage on top of that existing aspect and put more invokes on it. And then if you turn around and kick the bad guy into the fire, right. And you then are like, well, I'm going to just cash in these three invokes off of in, you know, off of raging fire to pick up a plus six on top of my role, on top of my skill. And I'm going to go hit him for like a six shift damage. Anyway, you get totally nerdy about this. Um, we will, I think, in the future, come back and do a fate episode. I think um, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the but part of so the things about it are there's the the math part, but you really like it's you can't you can't disassociate it from the fate point economy. Yeah. The fate like the fate point economy's got to be living the whole time, otherwise, um, otherwise the game gets kind of stale. Because yes, there are a lot of times you're gonna have to spend fate points to push yourself over a thing if you rolled a zero, but also I want you to spend those fate points because I want to compel you because that's, what's going to make the game more fun. Got it. And and, and part of that trust, I'm sorry, last part, part of the trust tree of, of, um, of compels is that compels aren't there to screw you. They're just to make things more interesting. So when you can't walk away, doesn't mean I'm going to like, you know, immediately slice your head off because you couldn't walk away from a problem. But it does mean that, like, things are going to get a whole lot more interesting in this game because you couldn't walk away from this problem, and now this problem is going to, you know, snowball up. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway. So, no more fate. We'll go into Phil's part of the community, the conversation corner. I will um, I will go we'll chop chop through mine. Uh, the reason I'm so fady right now is because I've been reading I Hunt, which yeah. is a fate core uh, derivative game. So I've actually... And, and it's actually a really good game for kind of um, talking about fate. Like, uh, I really like the voice of this game um, in terms of explaining rules and stuff like that. Yep. So it's a really, it's a, um, it has a few modifications yeah. from Fate Core, but I like how it explains fate. It, uh, it's good. Um, I've been watching more Enterprise. I'm well into season two now. Um, I don't love this show. I don't hate this show. Yeah. Um, 
Captain Archer's plenty cool. I actually, I, I pretty much like all the bridge characters. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a bridge at this point, midway into season two, there isn't a bridge character. I don't enjoy. Um, I still think Phlox might be my favorite. Although the Denoblian um, black hole sun smile um, kind of wigs me out from time to time. Have you ever noticed the doctor smiles like super wide? Uh, I don't remember. It's been a while, but I'm sure okay. you're right. Like Flocks, like when Flocks smiles, it's like creepily like wide. And I just saw the one where his um, one of his wives was on board <laughs> the ship and she's making a pass at um, at Tucker. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. And Tucker's like, Tucker but, feels but terrible and he like goes to, to, you know, like, no, no, that's cool. Yeah, he's like, no, no, he's like, he's like, she's really attractive. And he's like, what? It was an amusing moment of, uh, um, of how different cultures, um, Denoblians have a very different, um, uh, family unit structure, um, multiple wives, multiple husbands, very poly, very poly culture. But anyway, um, I, like I said, I don't, this show is perfectly fine. Yeah. It's perfectly fine. It is. and I don't I don't think it's not Star Trek, like whatever people thought it didn't feel Star Trek enough. I, I disagree. It feels plenty Star Trek. Um, it's good. It's it's not my favorite, but I um, it's not my favorite, but I'm going to finish watching it. I don't I don't doubt I'll finish the series off. Um, it's good. It, it's good enough. So I've uh, been watching more of that Forbidden Lands we talked about. I will just say the one part that we didn't talk about was in the middle of that fight. Sean uh, casts a spell to damage the demon rolls three ones uh, uh, for their spell check, which means there's absolutely going to be a magical mishap. You only have to roll one one to get that to happen and infects the entire party with a magical plague, which we then spent 45 minutes after the combat (laughs) sorting out how everybody was going to live through the plague. Because as it Um, turns out, it's freaking deadly. Yeah, it was really bad. The rules are like, the average play, the average disease is a virulence three, meaning it rolls three dice against the player. And when Sean rolled the thing, it says that, you know, it releases a magical plague virulence 2d6. I rolled 2d6 and got a, and got a 12. <laughs> so it was like, it was oh. like the Ebola yeah. of uh, magical plagues. It almost killed, um, Gore. it almost killed Glenn's character, Gore. Um, but after some quick thinking, uh, Sean was able to, um, Sean healed his character, her healed Anna, Anna Lodora. Anna Lodora went and got help. And then as she was the healer for the group, then nursed everyone back to health. But basically the characters lost a whole day because they had to stay like hidden in there, um, in the inn that they were in, yeah. um, being incredibly magically sick. Yep. So that was our down with the sickness moment of our game. Uh, and then the other thing is like, I've been hanging out chatting with, um, you folks on the mumbles. Um, I haven't really been playing anything, which is a sign that like something's off. Like I haven't been, I haven't read in the evening in the last two weeks and I haven't been playing any video games and I haven't really been respecting any sleep boundaries. And I suspect that like, I'm still not quite, um, I'm still not quite okay right now. Like I think like mental health wise, I, I must be a little off. I'm not. When I'm doing well, I'm um, playing a little Minecraft, chatting with you guys. Then I'm hopping off. I'm doing a little reading and then going to bed. Yeah. And uh, I haven't done that in a few weeks. And it's been kind of um, it, it means I'm kind of I, I think I'm just like a little messy. My sleep hygiene's really bad. And according to um, the Apple sleep tracker, 
um, atrocious, I think is the word mm-hmm. it wants to, it wants to use to describe my, uh, couple nights of sleep recently. You wake up in the morning and look at the Apple Watch and it says, dude. It's like, dude, are you really up? Go back to sleep, Phil. For fuck's yep. sake. Anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's good yeah. enough for now. We can, uh, we can roll out. All right. That means it's time for the Patreon shout outs. Big happy wave to Steve Bissonette, Steve Radabaugh, T. Kustik, Theodore Atkinson, our newest patron Tom Hay, Victor Wyatt, Noah Bond, Alice Kira, Austin Lemke, and Chris Mead. Thanks for being our patrons, and thanks to everyone for listening tonight. If you are free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. the Queen's time, you're welcome. Come join us live on Twitch, where you can chat with the other awesome listeners in the chat room for life, who, like, there was a really good crowd tonight. You guys were fantastic. Um, and ask us the occasional question. If you cannot make it a live show, check out our podcast each week, wherever you get your podcasts. And take a listen to some of the other shows in the Mr. Bark Network, such as Mastery Dungeons, Bonestone Obsidian, the FM Gamers, Canvas Talking Games, the Gnomecast, Jungle Hustle, The Lounge, bonus experience, and back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcast, Tabletop Dollhop, The Knights of the Night, and the always amazing Gimme of the S. After you've set the initiative order and before the first player acts, leave us some feedback. You can reach us directly via email at mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Hit us up on the Twitters. The show and the network is at misdirectedmark. He is Robert M. Everson. He is GM Gerrymander, and I am DNA Phil. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games are at patreon.com slash MMP. Zhangu Hustle is at patreon.com slash Zhangu Hustle. And Bonus Experience is at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This has been a Mistracted Mark production. The media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out.